It's Monday, February 6th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes. Hoynes, uh, quiet weekend for the Guardians. Uh, the franchise uh, said goodbye to uh, one of its most notable fans uh, on Friday and Saturday. Uh, you attended the funeral services for uh, John Adams. Uh, you know, what did you take away from uh, what you saw there and, and what uh, what they were able to do for uh, really the guy who is, is sort of just the, uh, the 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 first guy you think of when you think of fans in Cleveland, uh, John Adams, uh, his his drum won't be there uh, with him uh, in the future, but uh, his his memory will certainly live on. Yeah, Joe, I, I just was struck by the how, how you know, just struck by how many lives this guy touched, you know, and, you know, you think it's, you know, you think, okay, there's a guy sitting in the bleachers, you know, pounding on a drum, but uh, I think he, he sp- you know, he was, he was, he was more than that. And, you know, I think the, uh, the homily and, and the eulogy delivered uh, at, at the, uh, at the mass on Saturday, you know, drove that home that, you know, he was, a he volunteered for a lot of things. He, you know, uh, you know, he just, he was just a, a really a good guy that, you know, charitable causes. He was always there. And, you know, how, just how his, how his neighbors, you know, in Brexville kind of rallied around him and, uh, you know, just, you know, took care of him. I know they, you know, they talked about having an opening day parade for him when he couldn't go to the ballpark in 2021, when he was too sick and his neighbors, you know, staged a parade for him. They were, you know, they bought they picked up tr- prescriptions for him. They, you know, they, they bought groceries for him, you know, so, you know, he was, he was, he was a giving guy. And, and in the end, you know, he, he saw that giving return to him, you know? Yeah, that, that really, it, he was a, a uniting force uh, in, in Cleveland and, and throughout Northeast Ohio and, and really just uh, anywhere there were uh, fans of Cleveland baseball, whether it was Indians, Guardians or or whatever, uh, he, he really, uh, did just sort of bring people together and, and everybody, uh, you know, has a, has a story to tell about, you know, uh, interacting with him in some way, or, you know, maybe even making the, the climb up the steps to the top of those bleachers just to say hi to him and take a picture or ask if they could pound on his drum. And he was always, uh, willing to, to, to let a kid, you know, grab one of the mallets or, you know, whatever, uh, he was, he was just, uh, you know, he was he was the best of of us, of of guys who uh, of, of not just guys, Guardians fans in, in general, uh, Cleveland baseball fans. He he was uh, just the the symbol and he always will be. So uh, really special that they have the the bench with his drum uh, bronzed out there in, in Heritage Park. Uh, I'm sure that that will uh, get a lot of, of people taking pictures with it uh, on opening day. Uh, and throughout the season, uh, and and there will be tributes, I'm I'm sure throughout the the entire 2023 season, uh, the Guardians will will make sure to make it special. Uh, so so yeah, I I saw that uh, you know some videos and some photos from the the funeral on Saturday. There were there were guys out there uh, you know banging drums, just sort of standing on the street corner outside the cathedral. Uh, that, that that was pretty special. Yeah, they had you know a, a bunch of uh, you know. Uh, Pipes and drums, you know, uh, organizations, the East Side and the West Side Irish, uh, the, you know, Firefighters Memorial of, you know, Fife and Drum Corps. There was like, there's like 
I think there's about like 20 guys playing the bagpipes and drums, you know, coming into the church, going out of the church. They all were dressed in kilts. Uh, it was really cool. And, uh, you know, Lenny Barker was one of the uh, the pallbearers. And, uh, you know, he said, I, I, I talked to Lenny, he said, well, I heard John wanted me to be one of the pallbearers and there's nothing I wouldn't do for him. You know, and I asked him what it felt like to be on the mound when when he was when he heard that drum in the background at the old stadium. He said he loved it because it it usually meant they were winning. So uh, <laughs> you know, so that was that was cool. And and Joe, I was thinking about this. You know, uh, it's the 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 funeral mass was held at St. John's uh, Cathedral downtown. Mm -hmm. You know, on on East Ninth, and probably the last significant, you know. A burial there, or, you know, a burial mass there, a funeral mass there was maybe Ray Chapman, you know, in 1920, the, you know, the only player that's ever died from on the field, you know, for, he was hit in the head by a pitch. That was in 1920. And, and now, you know, kind of history flips forward and, and you see John Adams, you know, buried at, you know, the funeral mass at the same place. So, you know, there's, there's that connection to history that, that baseball always gives you. Yeah, at least significant in, in burial in terms of, uh, you know, related to baseball in Cleveland, uh, I, I would say, yeah, those, those those are, you know, two big ones there um, for sure. Uh, I'm sure it was a, an emotional uh, scene and, and uh, a lot of, uh, you know, folks from the organization and just folks from just lives that he touched all over the place were were there. So uh, just just real special. And uh, so now it's it's sort of time to move on. Uh, I'm sure that we'll we'll be able to, to see um, more tributes to John Adams uh, in, in the future and, and, and down the road as, as the season goes on. But uh, let's, uh, let's shift gears and, and talk about uh, some on-field stuff, some baseball stuff, actual, actual baseball uh, here. Uh, we, we learned on Friday that the Guardians extended uh, offers to eight of their minor league players uh, as non-roster invitees for major league camp at spring training. So uh, these are guys who, you know, they think, uh, you know, might have a chance to help the club at some point during the 2023 season. Uh, they want to get them in early and get them going with the uh, the major leaguers so they can get sort of familiar with them. The coaches can see them and, and you know, get to know their faces so that, you know, when these guys get a call up in uh, June or July or, or whatever, uh, they're not completely, uh, you know, strangers uh, walking into the uh, to the clubhouse. Uh, I guess probably the most significant of these eight, and we'll go through each one. Uh, but probably the most significant name on the list is Logan Allen. Uh, it's Logan T. Allen, the uh, the uh, also a lefty. Uh, you know, there was a, a Logan Allen on the roster last year, but he's since moved on. Uh, this is Logan T. Allen, 24 years old, left-handed starter. Uh, a second round pick in the 2020 draft out of Florida International. Uh, and this guy has been moving up the charts in terms of uh, the organization's top prospects list. He's the sixth rated prospect in the system, uh, according to Baseball America. Uh, he was nine and seven between Akron and Columbus last year with a 4.75 ERA. Uh, but his strikeout total was the third highest in all of minor league baseball. He had 177 punch outs last year in 70 uh, in, in 132 and two thirds innings. Uh, so Logan Allen, uh, definitely a guy to keep an eye on in terms of this is one of those guys where maybe uh, 
uh, you know, maybe Antonetti and those guys don't want uh, Tito to see him in spring training because uh, uh, he might uh, fall in love with him like he, the, the situation with Bieber years ago. Yeah, definitely, Joe. He's a guy that, you know, you we've all watched uh, coming through the minors. You know, I like the fact that he's a left-hander. I don't think he throws real hard, at least, you know, from the reports and the people I've talked to, but big strikeout rate. Uh, you know, so a, a, an exciting guy, and, and he's progressed pretty quickly, too. You know, he's a college guy, uh, so he was on the fast track as soon as he got drafted. And, you know, he's a phone call away, Joe, I think. Don't you yeah. agree? Yeah, I think uh, he'll, he'll probably start the season out in Columbus unless there's an injury or, or some sort of issue. Uh, but he's he would be that guy that would be like one of the first guys up to do a spot start or if there's a doubleheader or, or, you know, we certainly don't want to see him, uh, you know, take on that that role of bouncing back and forth, ping-ponging back and forth, uh, starting the second game of doubleheaders. But I don't think uh, anybody's predicting the number of uh, uh, rainouts and, and uh, scheduling issues that we had last year. So, you know, maybe he finds a spot in the rotation at some point during the season, uh, whether because somebody else, you know, drops out or, you know, there's an injury situation. But uh, he's definitely looking like somebody who can help right away uh, at 24 years old. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we he might, you know, get a little more uh, action in uh, spring training. You know, I think we might get a little longer look at him if, uh, you know, Cal Quantrill is, is uh, you know, is will, as we, we, we expect, you know, pitch for Canada in the WBC. If not Allen, Logan Allen, then, you know, somebody's going to have to pitch, uh, right. you know, and take those innings, you know, during the, uh, you know, the early and mid part of the, uh, you know, the Cactus League schedule. Well, and, and that's these next three guys I'm going to mention here are all guys who are, are, are just like Logan Allen will, will definitely be able to take advantage of uh, some of these stretched out, uh, you know, try some of these bigger opportunities because other pitchers or players are going to be elsewhere uh, during the WBC. Uh, you got to think Peyton Battenfield, uh, Nick Mikulacic, and Andrew Miss. I'm I'm not even gonna I'm I'm just gonna butcher it. Uh, Andrew Missyazic. That's, yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah, it's Mizia Mizasic Mizasic. There it is. I've got the pronunciation key right in front of me, and I'm even screwing up the pronunciation key. <laughs> Better you than me, Joe. <laughs> yeah, Andrew Andrew Mizasic. We'll, we'll go with that. He's 25. Uh, he was a 32nd round pick in 2019 out of Northeastern. Uh, he, he was actually teammates with Aaron Savali as a freshman uh, at Northeastern. So he, he went a combined 5-2 and two with a 2.04 ERA, 42 appearances between Akron and Columbus last year. Uh, uh, definitely a, a kid who's, uh, you know, done some done some nice things in the minors at, at both uh, AA and AAA. Uh, what is he? He's got a professional ERA of 3.30 in 91 appearances. So this is a, a guy who might be a, a relief option uh, from the left side uh, for sure. And then Mikulacic, we've seen uh, a, a couple of times uh, in spring training, he was a, a 2019 pick out of Sam Houston, uh, mostly in relief working in Columbus last year, only allowed three homers on the season and struck out 50. So, uh, you know, two options right there. 
Uh, Battenfield, of course, was sort of a, a workhorse guy in Columbus last year. Uh, they got him from Tampa Bay in 2021 in exchange for Jordan Luplo. Uh, so he's a, a guy who, you know, he he might actually, you know, be a, a, in line to to fill that sort of up and down role between Columbus and Cleveland uh, if if that's something that they're looking to do. Yeah, he got a chance last year to come up. He didn't pitch, but he made the trip to uh, Toronto, I believe, with mm-hmm. the, with the big league club, but didn't get to pitch. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm sure he's on their radar as well. And like you said, Joe, he threw a lot of innings, and you know, was showed he could you know handle handle the workload last season. Yeah, and then the other uh, the other right hander that they have on the uh, the invite list, Kate Smith, four and two with 13 saves and a 2.93 ERA in 44 appearances between Akron and Columbus. So a lot of these guys uh, have, have sort of the same profile in terms of their timing uh, between Akron and Columbus last year. A lot of them made that move starting out in double A and, and moving up to triple A by the end of the year. So uh, yeah, it should be interesting to see uh, at least some of these young guys and how they perform at spring training. Uh, they did invite a couple of position players as well uh, to uh uh, appear uh, David Fry, who's 27 years old. Uh, he spent last season, all last season in uh, Columbus, and was fourth overall in the organization in doubles and RBIs uh, in the minor leagues for for Cleveland. And he led Columbus in home runs. Uh, he tied with Will Benson. So uh, he is a catcher and infielder. So I'm assuming that you know they need him for when catch- pitchers and catchers first report. Uh, and Michael uh, Micah Prees, 24 year old first baseman. Uh, he was with Akron all year last year, led the uh, the Rubber Ducks in home runs and RBIs. Yeah, those are two interesting guys. Fry, you know, is like you said, Joe, he's kind of a utility guy, but he, uh, you know, he plays third base. He, he's a catcher, uh, and like, and uh, you know, obviously, you you need a, you need a bunch of catchers in spring training, at least six or seven. So I'm sure he's going to get a lot of work, you know, in bullpen sessions and and uh, you know during games, late late innings and during games, he'll be in there. Um, and uh, Priest is an interesting guy. I'm, I'm anxious to see him. I, I've never seen him play, but you know, I kind of followed his stat lines and his games last year. He, in, uh, you know, he always seemed to be in the middle of, of a rally. So for Akron, so you know, it's going to be it'll be fun to see how he swings a bat. Yeah, I saw him for a couple of games last year. Uh, looked pretty good. Uh, bigger than I thought he was. Uh, a little bit, not not necessarily a big guy, but just uh, you know, bigger physically than I thought. Uh, he, he was. And uh, yeah, like you said, uh, you know, always seemed to be in the middle of uh, middle of things for an, an Akron team that had a lot of talent and a lot of names on that team, too, as well. Uh, he uh, I believe he went out to the Arizona Fall League, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and he was out there uh, in, in this past offseason. So yeah, what uh, about what about Luis Aviado or Aviado? Yeah. Yeah, Aviado, I, I I did skip him. Jeez, good catch, Hoinsey. Uh, way to way to get that one. Uh, Aviado, he's he's another interesting one because he was a Rule Five pick from from Pittsburgh, and now he's back with uh, with the Cleveland organization because uh, he did not last the entire season on the major league roster for uh, for Pittsburgh. But uh, yeah, he he's he's back with Cleveland. Uh, they they resigned him and or they claimed on. I'm sorry, they claimed him on waivers. Uh, after they drafted him in what, uh, what did they draft him in 2016? 
So, yeah, he's five years under his belt uh, in, in the Cleveland organization. And I think, did he see some big league time with the Pirates? I, I, I think, I'm not he sure. Was on, he was on Pittsburgh's major league roster, uh, okay. and he was he was injured as well. So, oh, okay, you know, yeah. there, was, there was time uh, where he was up there on the roster, but not uh, playing. So, you know, I obviously any experience there that uh, there there's something that Cleveland likes about him if they they re-signed him so uh we'll see what they are able to get out of him uh, at least in, in training camp uh so that takes care of the non-roster invitees uh in terms of who's coming to camp uh, we already knew about uh quite a few of uh the guys who are going to be there the the veteran guys Caleb Baragar uh, Caleb Simpson, Tuki Toussaint, Cam uh, Gallagher is a catcher, Mabry's Deloria, um, as well as Roman Quinn. So, you know, there were a, a bunch of, uh, you know, more veteran guys who were already, uh, Michael Kelly as well, I believe a right-handed pitcher uh, is coming. So uh, those will be the names in addition to the guys on the 40-man roster who are in camp. Uh, but like we said, there's there's a lot of uh, opportunities just because of the World Baseball Classic and, you know, players being gone at at least at the start of camp. Yeah. And and also, you know, the the, the Guardians have a way of, uh, you know, taking those their starters from last year in the rotation and kind of slow playing them, you know, early in camp. So that's going to provide some some innings and games for these uh, for the you know non-roster invitees to fill. So, you know, they're going to get plenty of work, I'm sure. Yeah, for for some of these guys and at least the the, the veteran invitees, you know, they've got to come to camp early and, and and sort of hit the ground running because you know that they're going to be the guys used early and first off as opposed to the the guardians wanting to use their you know your beavers and your mckenzies and and uh, guys like cal quantrill uh the, like you said they'll be slow playing those guys so uh, those opportunities will definitely be there early they've got games they've got to get through they've got to fill innings for these guys yeah tuki tusad is an interesting guy joe i think mm-hmm. you know what he was like a big time prospect for Atlanta and, and kind of, you know, I don't know if, you know, I, I'm wondering just how much this guy has left in the tank. Well, I, I think coming to uh, Cleveland with the reputation they have for sort of, uh, you know, getting the most out of their, their pitchers. I, I think that's probably what he's looking at as, as an opportunity there is to, to sort of turn himself around or give himself the best chance to, to resurrect his, his career. Uh, if, if there's, Anything left in the tank that was, you know, what had him such a highly rated prospect uh, when he was with Atlanta, uh, you know, maybe he's he's worth taking a flyer on. And, and if there's a, a spot open at the start of the season to to get him on the roster. Yeah, for sure. I'm, and they, they do it like you said. uh They've done such. They do such a great job with these guys. You know, they're like the under the radar guys. We've seen it year after year after year where they bring a guy in, you don't think much of him, and all of a sudden he's on the he's on the opening day roster. So you know, hopefully, uh, you know, Tuki uh, can help them either you know early or late, or you know sticks around and you know and and is able to help them at some point in the season. Yeah, it's. Uh... For sure, Blake Parker was, uh, you know, the, uh, a oh, good yeah. example of that. You know, he he not only, uh, you know, came in and gave them good innings uh, the last uh, what two years ago, but was uh, also instrumental in turning around uh, Trevor Steffen and, and sort of getting a young pitcher like that 
uh, in the bullpen uh, straightened out. And now he's, you know, one of the, 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 the go-to guys in the back end of that bullpen. Yeah. And, you know, all these guys, veteran guys, especially have out clauses toward the end of spring training, but uh, you know, if, if they pitch well and, and, you know, they think this, you know, they'll get a good chance in Cleveland. Sometimes, you know, they, they, you know, they put that out clause aside and go to and agree to, you know, go to start the year at AAA and then kind of bide their time. And if there's an opening on the big league, you know, staff, uh, they, they'll get a shot. Yeah, it's, uh, it, we saw that with uh, Oliver Perez was a guy that, you know, jumped out of New York to come to Cleveland. So. Uh, it, 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 you're right. They do sort of have their finger on the pulse of those, uh, you know, who's out there, who's available and who could help, uh, on, on the, the wires. So, uh, interesting to see how that develops. All right. Uh, we mentioned the world baseball classic. We mentioned Cal Quantrill, uh, seeing reports that Quantrill will probably be one of the main pitchers, uh, for team Canada in the world baseball classic. Uh, we mentioned last week that his dad, Paul will be the uh, the pitching coach, uh, Ernie Witt, it will be the uh, the manager again for Team Canada. Just uh, real interesting to see. Uh, you know, the, I'm I'm all for play, uh, you know guys playing for their country and, and representing and all that. But uh, I just get a little nervous when one of your main uh, starters, your your number you know two three guy, is is out there uh, throwing hard innings early in in March. Yeah, you know that that's always a concern, um, and you know the the good thing is uh, the Guardians will have a big say in how he's used, you know how, when he's used, how many innings he can pitch. But you know Quantrill was a workhorse last year, fifteen and five, thirty two starts, one hundred eighty six in the third innings. Then he you know turned around and made two starts in the ALDS against the Yankees. Uh, so he got a lot of work in last year, and you know that's the thing that's always in the back of uh, Chris Antonetti and Terry Francona's minds. You know, we don't want this guy, you know, going somewhere else and uh, ramping it up too early and getting hurt. So you know, it, it's a uh, it's a delicate balance right now. The WBC always is for every all thirty teams in the big leagues. Yeah, why does it always feel like uh, there's there's always this debate surrounding Cal Quantrill about you know taking the shackles off of him and letting him go or you know keeping him keeping him under wraps? Uh, it it goes back to uh, the the 2021 season when he was transitioning from uh, the bullpen to the starting role after he had opened the season and been successful out of the bullpen, uh, you know, and they sort of. Uh, you know, kept the clamps on him as he was getting his his first couple of starts, and and then they finally let him, you know, just go full. Uh, you know, probably about the end the end of June, uh, maybe sometime around July, and uh, you know, he took off from there. Uh, and then obviously last year they they slow played the starters at the beginning of the year, and uh, it just always seems to me like Cal Quantrill seems like a caged animal and always just wants to be just sort of out on the mound, able to go as, as many innings as he wants to or, or is able to uh, to be effective out there. Uh, you know, it, it, that just is the vibe I get uh, from him. But he understands why they do what they're doing. And, you know, he's always given the good uh, the, the company line answer when he comes out of a game. He's like, I'll just do what they what they tell me. I'll take the ball when they t- when they give it to me. Yeah, that's a good point, Joe. I think, uh, you know, I think you're starting to see 
you know, uh, with especially with Frank Conan, I think pitch, you know, starters have to earn his trust. You know, when they pass that, when whatever that test is, can that thinning and I think you know Quantrill is approaching that we've seen him do it with Bieber you know uh you know with uh, McKenzie McKenzie was second on the team in in uh in innings 191 in the third innings you know and uh, Quantrill was right behind with 186 and Bieber with 200 but uh I think you you've got to earn that that kind of that ability to go a little farther, you know, just to hang in there one more inning or a couple more outs. And I think Quantrill's right on the edge of that with uh, with Francona. All right. Uh, all right. Last thing we want to talk about uh, on today's podcast, uh, we we've seen uh, a bunch of ballparks changing uh, their dimensions or announcing that they're changing dimensions. We actually talked about uh, Detroit changing the dimensions at uh, Comerica Park, but now we're we're also finding out what, um, uh, and, and this goes back to last season when uh, the Orioles actually moved their fence back in left field, so it's deeper in left field. Uh, the Tigers are bringing the fences in in right center uh, in one of the biggest uh, ballparks in in all of baseball in terms of outfield, uh, you know, area. Um, uh, the what was it? The Mets are, are changing are bringing their fences in as well, and I think there was one other team. Yeah, uh, uh, Toronto. Toronto. Toronto is ra- raising the walls, and and I think they're bringing it in a bit. You know, I'm not sure exactly sure what the dimensions are going to be, but I know they're they're raising they're raising the outfield fences. They're, so they're going to be taller fences out there. I I, I already thought uh, the the fences in Toronto were were pretty high, anyways, but uh, apparently they're going to make it so that the guys can't rob home runs now. Uh, I guess. That, yeah. That would be that would be interesting. Uh, all of this leads me to to just want you know what do you think of the dimensions at Progressive Field and and is there any room or would there be any ability to uh, you know with all the changes going on at the park planned over the next couple of seasons would there be an option or do you think there's any desire to uh, bring the fences in in any way uh, for uh, the outfield there? Well, I think Joe, you know the the big thing if you're a right-handed hitter is trying to clear that 19 foot wall, you know, from the left field line all the way to, uh, you know, right, uh, right center field. And I would think uh, if there was ever a change, I don't think you can move physically move that wall in. Maybe you could, but you know, you could do what they did in Anaheim and you know put a yellow line low, you know, a yellow line in the middle of that wall, and and so anything over the the line would be you know, a home run. I don't know if they'd ever do that, but, you know, how many right-handed hitters have we heard complain about that? I mean, you know, it, it, it's it's funny, you know, when when they, when they Albert Bell and Manny Ramirez were playing, no one ever complained about it. You never heard those guys complain about the height of the right field wall. But, you know, since those guys left, there's been a lot of complaints. Well, and, you know, Oscar Gonzalez really uh, doesn't have a, a lot of trouble clearing that, uh, that mark uh, either your your main home run hitter over the last few years and you're you know even going back to Lindor who who batted uh left-handed a lot um Jose Ramirez you know he he bats left-handed he he hits to the pull side um the majority of Jose's home runs go out to right and right center so uh i you know i i wouldn't necessarily I, think you need to change that 
Yeah. Oh, what am I? I I'm, I'm, I got my left and my right. I'm talking about the left field wall, the left field wall. The right. 19th. Yeah. Yeah. This is, okay. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think you'd have to change the right field. I mean, the jet stream out there when it no. warms up in the summer. I mean, that, well, that ball flies out there. That's a, that's and, a fair that's a fair park, I think. And and let's let's think about this maybe from the pitcher's perspective as well. Would you want to move the fences back in any way, or would you want to make a change in that way? To, to make it harder to hit home runs. Uh, not too many parks are doing that. Not too many. I mean, Baltimore obviously is the the, the big example there. But, uh, you know, you've got an organization that prides itself on its pitching development. Yeah. Uh, could you take advantage of that and just make, make Progressive Field a, a home run graveyard? Yeah, you know, I think... Uh... You know, if you look at the metrics over the last few years, it's usually, you know, at, at Progressive Field usually comes out as a pretty fair ballpark. And, it, and most of the time it favors, you know, a little, uh, uh, it favors the pitchers, you know, not not by a great degree, but it, uh, you know, but, but, uh, but by some degree, you know, and I think a lot of that has to do with the lineups, you know, the Cleveland's lineup. But I, I also think, uh, you know, that it's it's a good park to pitch in, especially late and early in the year, where when it's cold and and the ball doesn't carry. Yeah, if you get uh you know a couple of uh, of dominant starters for a, a long stretch in a in a rotation, uh, that's going to mess with those numbers in terms of you know how many home runs you see and 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 that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know how accurate uh you know the the data is in terms of. How, just how fair the ballpark is, but uh, you, you go into a park like Comerica, there's an obvious difference between what you're seeing in Cleveland and what you're seeing in Detroit. So for them to make a change, I can I can see that for, to be more enticing uh, to attract free agent hitters and, and and whatever. Cleveland, I don't think that's really up for a, a discussion. I mean, it's, you're not going to have Juan Gonzalez coming and saying I'm not playing there, I'm, I'm not signing a contract there because. It's 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 not a fair place to play, so it, it, it's it's certainly not Coors Field, but it's definitely not uh, you know Old Comerica with the the super long fences. Yeah, it's you know it's it's a long way from a launching pad, and you would you know when when you watch those teams in the '90s, you would have thought it was, but you know we've seen that this ballpark is you know it plays fair, and and it, and in some respects it, it favors the pitchers. Well, and who knows, maybe with the, the changes that they have planned and, and taking out some seats and opening up uh, and, and, you know, maybe there's wind changes and things like that. Uh, maybe maybe it does become a little more hitter friendly uh, with with more of the, the, you know, the wind being a factor and be that being in play a little bit more. But uh, that all sort of remains to be seen. I don't know, Hoinsey, I, I, I sometimes sometimes there's a part of me that just likes to see change for change sake. And sometimes there's a part of me that says, just just leave it alone. Uh, I think this is one of those times where where I would say, just leave the park alone. I think it looks uh, I think the uh, the playing surface, the playing area itself looks pretty good. Yeah. What was the year, Joe, at, at old municipal stadium when they moved <laughs> the fences in, when Hank Peters moved the fences in and made that the monstrosity in center field, like the, that the, 20 the, foot blue wall in center it, field. <laughs> it wasn't a, it, it wasn't a green monster. It was a blue ant. It was a uh, blue ant. Yeah. But Jesse Orozco named it. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was, uh, it was, it was 91. I believe they had yeah, Alex. Alex they had Alex Cole out there in center field, so they they wanted somebody to to go out there and run around out there and rob home runs. 
but that was, uh, it's like just to, to tie it all back into John Adams, there was a photo of John Adams drumming, and I knew exactly what season that photo was taken in <laughs> because the, the perspective was Adams at the top of the bleachers, and you could see the damn fence, and you could see behind it where they had like all sorts of like equipment and stuff parked behind it. Uh, and you know, that was, uh, that was a, a travesty that that, that fence that existed was, and at all. They, it really was. They, and they did all that, Joe, and, and for Alex Cole it, and Cole, like in spring training that year, slipped coming yeah. out of the batter's box and dislocated his shoulder and hardly played. So yeah, yeah. He wasn't the same player. <laughs> yeah. That was, uh, that was great. Uh, it's, they needed to get out of that that stadium so badly that it it just goes to show you how how uh, you know the the move to Progressive Field where it is now the the Gateway uh, you know structure and and Jacobs Field how it was all just uh, part of the, what what kept this franchise going uh, it was it was such a great thing ha- that happened to them uh, but yeah that was awful playing with that that blue fence back there. Cleveland has uh, has had a, a a great history with uh, you know changing its dimensions and changing its fences. I think uh, uh, we'll, we'll keep the uh, the 19 foot wall in left field and in honor of Bob Feller. I don't think we'll be changing that anytime soon. Yeah, let's hope. I, I'm I'm satisfied with the ballpark, but I don't I don't swing the bat, so who knows what will happen, Joe? <laughs> All right. All right, Heinz, we're going to wrap it up for today. Uh, we'll be back again on Wednesday with another edition of the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. We'll check in with you then. All right, buddy.